Welcome to my testimony and today Dawn we have uh, a very special <laughs> guest uh, we're, we're looking forward to this testimony and a powerful man of God we have today so I just want to welcome uh, Pastor Myron Edmonds to my testimony welcome Pastor man what an honor what a privilege to be with you uh, Colin and Dawn I've been uh, monitoring this on my calendar looking forward to you know because I don't nobody <laughs> I don't get a lot of invitations to share my testimony. I get invitations to preach, to do training, seminars. So it's not it's not often that a pastor, or at least in my case, I should say, that I get an opportunity to just, you know, be real and share my testimony. So I, I mean, I've been looking forward to this. Yes, awesome. yes. Awesome, awesome. So we're so glad that you accepted our invitation. And I know God is going to bless all of us today. So welcome again. Indeed, indeed. Before we get into today's testimony, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you provided for us. Thank you for my testimony and for the testimonies that we're, we're able to share with the world. We pray that as uh, Pastor Myron shares with us today, that it will truly be a blessing and that all of us will be blessed and that uh, our souls will be watered and your Holy Spirit will just be with us. Thank you for everything you provided for us and everything you continue to do for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, Amen. Pastor Myron, let's start at the beginning because I don't think our community knows too much about you. There are some that know you. So just start sure. at the beginning about your life and how you grow, grow how you're raised, etc. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a church boy um, <laughs> through and through. Um, uh, for those who are or may not be uh, Seventh-day Adventists, um, I'm fourth generation Seventh-day Adventist. I'm a second generation Seventh-day Adventist pastor. My father was a pastor. I grew up in a pastor's home. Mm -hmm. um, my mom uh, was a teacher in the Adventist school system uh, before she became a lawyer. And when she became a lawyer, she, she actually started uh, she worked for the general conference uh, as representation there. So look, wow. I mean, our roots are very much uh, intertwined within yes. the uh, within the yes. church, within the denomination. Mm. Um, but I would say uniquely different about my about my story and my testimony uh, as I think about my formative years. Uh, the biggest thing that comes to my mind is um, the joy, the happiness that we had as a family. Our family was unconventional. I'm the only biological child out of five. My parents mm -hmm. adopted uh, my four other brothers and sisters. Um, when I was uh, 18 months, uh, my parents were at seminary at Andrews University in Michigan. They adopted my sister, who was Korean at the time. She came three years old, couldn't speak a lick of English, and they gave her a black name. Uh, she she went from Hee-San Cho to Leticia. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow. So, wow. <laughs> so uh, it's my sister um, and my sister, you know, I, I joke, I jokingly say this, but it's true. Anybody who knows my sister knows if you heard her on the phone, uh, her, 
her actual culture and ethnicity would belie her. You would think she's 100% black, uh, a black girl wow. from Washington, D.C. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so that was sort of the beginning of, 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 of this unique family situation that we had. And of course, as my dad's ministry began to, uh, to grow and he began to move, we moved mm -hmm. to New Jersey. And when we got there, my mother was working at the time for uh, Section 8 Housing Authority. If anybody's ever been poor, you know what Section 8 is or the projects or uh, government cheese or anything like that. Right. Uh, food stamps. My mom used to work in that office and uh, there was a family that came in. The mother was uh, dying of AIDS and uh, mm -hmm. she had a 12 year old boy. Mm -hmm. And my mother just exchanged pleasantries with her, you know, just kind of trying to witness and befriend her. Right. And uh, as she was trying to help her. And of course, uh, that same day, we invite she and we invited I should say we invited uh, her son uh over to our house for Friday night fellowship you know and and, and dinner on the Sabbath and uh, he ended up staying for the rest of his life wow. uh happened just like that so that's my brother Edward he's married lives in Chicago and then we moved to uh moved to Maryland area to Baltimore uh Washington DC area and my father uh, found out that his sister's two children had been being bounced around from one foster home to the other. Mm. And, um, and of course my parents in grand style, you know, um, uh, adopted my, uh, my actual, uh, blood, uh, cousins hit my father's actual niece and nephew. They came to live with us. So that makes five. Now okay. that's just the five children, but, um, my fact we've calculated this, uh, and we've come up, we've come to the conclusion that I guess between my childhood and the time I left for college, uh, maybe well, what, I, what I should say is from my childhood until maybe my parents' uh, marriage ended, which we'll talk about, um, my parents had over 70 plus people living in the house wow. at, at, at one time or another. So our house was literally the house that, you know, um, this, you know, we, we help restore people's lives. I mean, yeah. one of the biggest uh, reasons why I'm in ministry right now is not because I ever really wanted to preach. Mm. I just wanted to help people in the same way my parents helped people. It was mm. so inspiring. My parents used to get criticized because mm. people from the outside said, man, how, how can you bring such strange people into your home? Mm. Uh, literally, the first time I saw somebody use drugs was in my garage. My parents mm. had brought in a Vietnam veteran who was addicted to heroin mm -hmm. and they were trying to help uh, rehabilitate him. And that's the first time I, I, I saw drugs. We had alcoholics that lived with us and et cetera. And mm. a lot of people were, you know, sort of critical. Right. Why would you endanger your children in this situation? Mm. Not realizing the opposite happened. It gave us it, what, it, what it did for me as a sort of sheltered Adventist kid who's growing up in a middle class home. Mm -hmm. It helped me to give perspective on what real life was like right. and to literally see the Holy Spirit change people's lives. I never shall forget. And I'll call this person's name. Um, his name is Ralph Ryan. Ralph uh, was a drunk uh, used to, who grew up Adventist. My dad was driving down the street. This is a true story. My dad was driving down the street of Washington, D.C., uh -huh. not far from the church. Right. Anybody from Washington, D.C. would know where Capitol Street is or uh, North Capitol, South Capitol. I think it was South Capitol Street. And right there on the corner, uh, there was his brother former Adventist, you know, church boy, mm -hmm. uh, just drunk. He and another drunk were standing there. They're getting ready to take down a 40 ounce of beer. Mm -hmm. And um, my father, all I, all I saw, because we were in the car coming home from school, is I, the, an abrupt stop to the car. My dad got out and all I saw was an altercation with my dad and, and this guy. Wow. And my dad won the altercation because wow. I saw him drag the guy mm -hmm. and put him in our car. 
Wow. And when he got in the car, the only thing I could remember was just the smell of of alcohol and, and cigarettes and just hadn't showered in days. It was just mm. it was the most repugnant smell. Well, anyway, my dad literally was trying to save Ralph and brought Ralph to our house. And I saw over a seven to eight year period of time, this guy go from a drunk addicted to everything mm. to being the head elder of the church, personal ministries leader. And now he's a worldwide evangelist. Oh, like wow. literally, this is the kind of stuff I saw growing up as a kid. Mm. So you can only imagine how how disappointing it was with such a I want I want to call it a perfect family, but with with such an amazing story mm-hmm. of how God was moving in our family. We were on the cover cover of Message magazine at one time mm-hmm. because of just the stories and the the life change and the testimony, if you please, about our family. And so when my parents divorced after thirty six years of marriage, mm-hmm. man, that was another major major I would say um, landmark moment in my development and in my story. Right, right. Wow. So, so you you grew up seeing ministry, and um, wh- why didn't you? You say you didn't want to be a pastor. Why? Why was that? Why choose it? <laughs> yeah. Oh well, because you know, I mean, if you honestly, if anybody anybody that that grows up in a pastor's family, what I've seen in my experience and knowing a lot of pastors' families and a lot of pastors' kids, is it's not something that you would. It's not as glamorous growing up in the home as, as it is for people who may look on the outside. Um, mm. Truth be told, um, my dad went through a lot of pain uh, with mm. church people, with the administration, with the brethren. Um, they don't make a lot of money, uh, made less money back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and and work and ministry seem to always be in a, an interference in, in our family's life. Uh, it's not a job that you can literally turn off. Some people, right. they go to work nine to five. They don't have to bring work home. Right. Uh, but ministry literally bleeds uh, into, you know, the life of a pastor's family. I mean, all the time. You know, there's always a hospital visit. Somebody's always dying. Somebody always needs a, a visit. Somebody's always in crisis, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so, you know, as, as a kid growing up, you resent that to some extent. And right. you want freedom, you know, whether it be financial freedom or mm-hmm. just freedom from, you know, sometimes even seeing just the ugliness of church people uh, towards your your family. And so, right. honestly, I was like, nah, I'm going to go make some money. I'm going to go be a lawyer. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. But it, that didn't happen. So. <laughs> I know, right? Can so, I just ask a question, though? Um, mm-hmm. When you saw all these people, these kids, these people coming into your home, and knowing that you're the only biological kid, and mm. then you got adopted brothers and sisters, but these other people are just coming in, coming in. How did that make you feel? You know, I, I think I was, I, I don't know, I guess I could, all I can say is I was kind of used to it. I was built for it. Mm. Uh, so understand, from the time that I could remember, people were living with us. Mm. So it, it was just, it was normal, you know. That's what we do. People oh. live with us, you know, like, oh. you know, and so even to this day, my wife and I have, you know, in many respects, I would say with probably more boundaries than my mom and dad had. Mm. Um, and there's reasons for that. But I'll say we definitely followed in that same pattern just helping people, people living with us. Honestly, this is not uncommon for black families. If we if we're honest, you know, black, yeah. black, black families, whether they be southern families, indigenous Americans or West mm-hmm. Indians. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I often joke sometimes, you know, for those who are not black, uh, this, there's no offense to what I'm take no offense to what I'm saying, but black people will understand that I saw a post the other day that said it says only black people have like a bunch of cousins who are actually not their actual right. cousins. It's, you know? <laughs> you <know? true. laughs> it's like you never hear yeah. white people talking about my cousins, like right. <laughs> you know, but you know, we very much believe in the extended family yes. as a culture. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so it would not be uncommon to have an uncle or a cousin or somebody, right. you know, or whatever. And so, you know, I think I was just used to it. To ad- answer your question, Don, I was just, mm-hmm. I was just accustomed to it, and I never felt that it was me and them. Right. I always, and even to this day, I don't see my brothers and sisters mm-hmm. as adopted. I view them these, these, this is my, this is flesh and blood, you know, okay. literally, you know. And so, yeah, that's. That's that's kind of how that's kind of how I'm built. And I'm natural extrovert, gregarious personality. So, you know, the more people, the better. You know, <laughs> bring the party on, right? <laughs> yeah, bring it, bring it, man, bring the party. Right, right. So, um, so what changed your mind? So, you 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 didn't want to be a, a, a minister. You didn't want to do ministry. So, what what changed? Did you start doing law? Did you actually start? Well, so here's the story behind that, Colin and Dawn. So. Um, so here I am going to Oakwood and honestly, uh, you know, I wasn't, I, I was very much interested in doing other things. Uh, I was on the basketball team, uh, at Oakwood. Uh, I was pretty good. Um, you know, I, I was just, I don't think I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to pastor. Right. So, uh, I, I don't know. I think my major was like psychology at first. I think I then I changed it to communications. I was actually a, a, a disc jockey that worked at the radio station. It's called WJOU now, but back then it was called WOCG Oak, on Oakwood's campus. So I was like, ah, maybe I want to do this. I had no idea. Right. But in my mind, I kept saying I'm going to go to uh, to law school. For anybody who's confused about their purpose, you exactly you know exactly what what I'm talking about because a lot of times what we're doing is we're making plans for ourselves because we may be running from something. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's this is a short and to the point story. For I don't know how, but I got in some class with E.E. E. Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Anybody who knows about church may know have heard of the legendary evangelist E.E. E. Cleveland. When I was at Oakwood, he was still teaching there, and uh, I was in a class with him. I don't know why I was in a ministry class. I don't know if I was taking it as elective. I think I may have. And uh, in, in that class, I can't remember what he said, but he was talking about how you know you're called. And it shook me up so much mm. that after the class, I ran up to Elder Cleveland and I was like, Elder Cleveland, Elder Cleveland, uh, how do you know if you're called? And now Elder Cleveland was, I mean, he's austere, you know, almost larger than life. Right. You know, he didn't really look people in the eye. I mean, we yeah. reverenced this man, you know, <laughs> he's like, it's like almost when he walked, man, he. He hovered over the ground, you know, that guy, he had that kind of presence. Nervously, I went to him and I said, like, how do I know if I'm called to the ministry? And Elder Cleveland stopped, you know, you know, normally he was in a hurry. He stopped, he turned to me, he pointed his long finger at me and he looked me in the eye and he said, whatever is consuming your thoughts the most, Mm. that's what God wants you to do. Now, I had been saying that I wanted to do this. Right. But in my mind, all I could see was mm-hmm. helping people in ministry. And again, I want to keep emphasizing, I never, it wasn't the draw of the preaching. You know, a lot of people are drawn to ministry to preach. Right. I was drawn to ministry 
because I, I associated ministry with actually helping people and changing people's lives. Mm. And honestly, that's what consumed my thoughts. I mean, I mean, in a matter of weeks, I went and changed my major, became a theology major, and the rest is history. Yeah. Oh, wow. 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 So, so when you started uh, ministry, how is it for you? What What are some of the um, uh, difficult times that you went to, or even the great times that yeah. you when you started? Because you went, you you obviously you graduated, got your degree, and then what was the first step after that? Yeah. So um, once I once we I left Andrews, kind of got married uh, right away. Then after I got married. Uh, my wife and I, my wife was in dental school and, and God just arranged for me to be uh, in the same area. She was in dental school right in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And I pastored. Uh, I, I, actually, I was the associate pastor in Huntsville, Alabama, which is about a 90 minute drive. And so mm -hmm. that was a great experience because I got to learn uh, ministry watching. Uh, you know, a great pastor and, and Pastor Ben Jones, who's actually the conference president now. Uh, but um, that was a great experience because I got to learn and, I, and it really taught me leadership. Um, and then I got an assignment to pastor three churches. And I think that's really where I cut my teeth, as they say, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and just learn how to build relationships with people. Again, I'm very much a relationship oriented person. Building relationships with people, I think, is a skill that I have, but it Definitely had to learn more about it because I had to learn it from the perspective of of being rejected. Mm -hmm. um, one of the struggles about pastoring, and this is the thing I was always afraid of, is that just because you have good intentions, just because you're gifted, just because you're passionate, just because you want to do ministry doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the congregation that you're leading wants to go where you're trying to take them. Exactly. And so I had to learn leadership. You know, how do you lead people uh, to places they don't want to go? How do you deal with the relationship issues and struggles oftentimes that come, you know, with leadership wars and, you know, uh, other wars that happen in the church? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I think it was in it passed in those three churches there in the rural south of Tennessee that I started mm -hmm. to learn mm -hmm. more so about, you know, what my gifts were, what my weaknesses were, areas I needed to be self-aware. Um, I think I, I think I think the biggest lesson that I learned is that people want to be loved and people want to be respected um and that oftentimes trying to push people towards the mission of the church mm -hmm. is generally the hardest thing to do in ministry because right. our default setting mm -hmm. is to be sedentary is to be complacent is right. not to be mission-minded mm -hmm. and so yeah any pastor can go to a church and maintain and keep people happy but i think i kind of made a decision at that point that i wasn't really I didn't want to just make people happy and have a great reputation. I wanted to fulfill the mission of the church. Remember now my upbringing and my upbringing, I saw people's lives change. And I almost felt like right. if a church was not engaged in the mission of changing people's lives, like if they weren't consumed and obsessed with that, then something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think immaturely, I handled a lot of situations, probably not the best early on, uh, because I just didn't know the nuances of how to manage conflict and how to manage relationships when people didn't agree with you and didn't right. agree with the direction that you felt. Mm -hmm. But I think all in all, what I gained was I did gain a sense of how to how like the importance of spirituality and being genuine. I think you can be a failure in areas of skill. Like you may not preach a good sermon. You may, uh, you, you know, you may not be the best administrator. Right. You may have a bad board meeting, but I think what can be right. unforgivable for a leader 
is not being spiritual, right? <laughs> not leading mm. himself where he's trying to lead or he, or she is trying to lead other people. And then the second thing I would say that I kind of made a philosophy of my ministry that you have to love people. Like at the end of the day, yep. like I feel like if you have those two characteristics, like mm -hmm. a genuine spirituality and a love for people, then I think your skill set almost can take a back seat to those things because I think God will bless those things far and wide above your 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 actual skill set. Right. Amen. 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 It's true. Nice. So have you always been just preaching in churches? Is that what you're doing now? Well, yeah. So I'm currently pastoring right now in uh, in Cleveland. This is actually my this is actually my third pastoral assignment. I started off as an associate, and um, of course, I pastored for about seven years in Tennessee. Those three small churches, they end up taking two of them away because one of them started to grow so fast that I had to pastor that one. And then we took a call to come back to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, which is actually where my wife is from. It's not why we came here. But anyway, we, we came here. She wanted, she really didn't want to come here. God literally through visions and dreams. Honestly. Okay. Oh, wow. Literally through visions and dreams, God sent us to Cleveland. That's wow. the only way we would have ever gotten here because my wife grew up here and left here for a reason, didn't want to come back. But anyway, we ended up coming back. And since we've been here, we've been here now almost 11, going on 12 years, pastoring the same church. Wow. And uh, let's have seen, got a chance to really finally implement all of the dreams that i've wanted to see a church actually become a community powerhouse a, a, a place for all people mm -hmm. um you know a place where grace is is experienced um you know just you know being a place that 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 fights for the needs of the, the less fortunate mm -hmm. we've gotten a chance to experience that major growth uh, you know innovation mm -hmm. uh, all of that has happened since we've been here in cleveland but there's also another side to the story of our experience here in Cleveland. I think that um, I, we may get into on the personal side, family side, because here's the truth, man. Like if you are not one of the things I know about God is that any calling that we have in our lives, whether it's pastoral ministry. And that's mm -hmm. why I like to emphasize pastoral ministry. A lot of times we say ministry, people think pastoring, right. but ministry is the general term that all of us are called to, whether yes. no matter what your job is, all yeah. of us have been called to ministry. Exactly. Mine is just pastoral ministry. Right. But here's the truth. Whatever ministry you're called to, you call that ministry not just because you're so great and you're going to help a lot of people. You call that ministry primarily because that ministry is going to help to bring about a character development, transformation, healing, deliverance in you. It's true. Full stop. That's, yep. that's, the purpose of, that's the purpose of ministry. You're not all that, right? There's yep. always somebody else to take your place. <laughs> ministry is designed it is designed for character development. And I will be honest with you, part of my testimony, and I think where I've positioned myself right now, and I think God has always drawn me to this, is I'm always, I've always, I've always craved for and, and have been inspired by authenticity and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I can I can safely say that for the most part, people appreciate my ministry because that's pretty much what I hang my hat on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, just being real being vulnerable, being transparent, and being courageous enough to do that in front of people where normally that wouldn't happen. Right. And so mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I think, I think one of the things that that came about since being here was an addiction to pornography while I was pastoring mm. and, and recognizing some of the, um, the triggers and the sources and the traumas that in, impacted that. Um, 
So, I mean, I don't know how, where we want to go with this, but I want to, I want to say this, be, uh, uh, connecting my parents' divorce, the ending of their marriage, 36 years of major trauma in my life. Right. Um, recognizing that I had um, experienced some things as a kid that hadn't really been awakened until I got in ministry. And I tell people all the time, especially people who have addiction or struggle with something right. like porn was never really my problem. It was just used as a self-medicating tool to mm -hmm. deal with other issues that I had left unaddressed. Right. And so for me, it is critical, especially as ministers or as leaders, uh, just as people in general, I have this mantra that's get healed or die trying. Like, we, we should not ever accept dysfunction in us because of how it hurts other people. Of course, my marriage went through a lot of turmoil as a result of that. And just as a result of allowing ministry and the stresses of life to so encumber me right. and to and, and to so, um, you know, overwhelm me that I started started finding ways to address my issues through self-medicating or overworking you know, pornography you know, things of that nature. And so thanks be to God, the Lord has has delivered me and has put me on a path of sobriety and really positioned me to help other people. Because honestly, this is just, and I'll say this, I know I'm saying a lot, but I, I really feel like one of the biggest hindrances in our churches, especially in our families, even, mm -hmm. even in our culture, right. is just that we, we want to be fixed, but we don't want to face our issues. Right. Like we want to be healed, but we don't want to identify what's really going on. You know, we, 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 we want, we want the house to be clean, but we don't want to get rid of the elephant in the room. Right. And I think so many people are in, in bondage mm -hmm. because they don't recognize that the only way for mold to grow is, 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 is it has to remain in the dark. Yes. The minute you put light on it, it can't grow anymore. And I, I just, it saddens me that many of our congregations and our families and our communities are not safe spaces for people to be able to acknowledge their brokenness in order they can be healed. I think grace is the environment that produces the change in our lives. Bible literally says, mm -hmm. uh, Paul says in Romans, he said, I mean, in Romans two, he says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, the kindness of God, man. Can you imagine if our fellowships and if our communities, our families were places where the kindness of God dwelt so right. people could actually, you know, we wouldn't be shocked and surprised when somebody had some public moral fall, when right. somebody got divorced, right. Mm -hmm. Or when somebody OD'd or somebody committed suicide, a lot of this stuff happens because we do not create an atmosphere of safety for people to actually be uh, sinners, right. to be broken, to be in need of a savior. And so, you know, I'm shouting this from the rooftops because I personally have lived this throughout my ministry and have experienced grace from my wife, have experienced grace from other communities. But I actually feel called to help release people from this uh, facade and these pretensions that really hold us back. Right, right, right. Amen. And that's um that that's what I love about your ministry and what God has called you to do because I know you're helping you're helping a lot of men. Um you're helping me too because I have been I've been struggling with with stuff like that too. And um I've been, you know, watching your your podcast and your and everything that you're doing. So, uh let's talk about that a little bit more though because as as pastors, as a lot of pastors, we have this front you know, we, we have this or oh, this persona, we have to protect our name and everything. Um, how is it for you to, to, to for you to, vulnerable. yeah, to be so yeah. open and to yeah. clear how, how, how did that feel at times though? You know, again, um, I, I'll say number one, ignorance. I think I was too ignorant to know the consequences of 
my my I think the Lord hid it from me in a sense um, of of what would happen if I was vulnerable. And I'm glad he did, because sometimes I have a tendency to be, uh, you know, to want the affirmation, the approval of people like any human being would. Right. Um, so I would say ignorance. The other thing is, is I, I think I have the gift of courage, to be honest. I think God just mm -hmm. gave that to me. Um, it, it, it's kind of surprising to me. It shocks me sometimes, you know, <laughs> uh, um, but I just think God gave it to me for a reason. I feel like I am literally called to help set people free from the masks that we have to wear. Yeah. That's yeah. I and so thanks be to God, I've seen enough affirmation uh from lives being changed about it that it's almost like, you know, have you ever, you know, you watch sports sometimes and you see somebody, you know, maybe it's basketball, they hit a shot and they they feel like, man, I'm hot. Mm -hmm. Man, uh, you know, right. I'm gonna keep shooting. Right. You know, I, I feel that way about this ministry now. So that there's no amount of criticism that could ever come at this point because I've seen so many people come to me quietly, you know, in my inbox on messenger or otherwise saying, thank you. I needed that. I needed to hear that people that you would never expect old people, young people. Uh, it, it was almost like the first time I did this and was open and vulnerable. I, I got immediate, immediate sense of satisfaction because it just it was like people were being freed and they were telling me, thank you. Thank you for this. Now, I've gotten some criticisms and, you know, sometimes one criticism can weigh more than a thousand, yeah. uh, you know, commendations. Yeah. But but this is different because I, I and I'll say here's the personal part. If I cease to tell my story, if I cease to make myself vulnerable, this is what God told me, then you will return you will return back to your past. That's true. Part of yeah. my sobriety, part of my healing, part of my accountability system is I got to keep telling it. I've got to. I got to keep telling it. It right. strengthens me. It it keeps me, uh, you know, where I need to be. Never getting puffed up. One of the biggest things that threatens a lot of leaders, especially, um, is pride and arrogance and, yep. and starting to believe your own press. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's the, the I, and see what God want, when I, when I'm vulnerable, it constantly reminds me that I'm not all that, <laughs> you know, I'm, that, yeah. that I'm desperately in need of God's grace on a regular basis. And so, yeah, I, I think that, that, that for me is kind of what has positioned me here to keep, to keep this thing going. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. So I, I can imagine the, the first time you, you did that presentation, how was the room? How was the room? You know, let me tell you, it's crazy. So I actually remember when I, so I, so I remember we were doing communion, uh, communion at my church. I was pastoring in Tennessee, one of those three small churches. Uh, it was a communion Sabbath. And, um, I, I want to say this, you know, how sometimes you watch, uh, you know, maybe a video on YouTube and it's of somebody doing a stunt. And at the bottom, it will say something to the effect of do not try this. You know, right. <laughs> these are stunt men. Don't do. Right. OK, so what I'm about to say, I do not recommend anybody to do this. All right. <laughs> I'm not recommending this at all. You, 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 you gave your disclaimer. disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. All right. This is descriptive. So anyway, um, I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit. Mm. that to to share my story with my congregation mm. now now listen it was communion sabbath 
Mm. And, you know, I was giving the message before communion. Mm. And all I can tell you is, is I felt the strong prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I only know it was the Holy Spirit now afterwards uh, <laughs> because of the response. Um, you know, sometimes we have those promptings and we're not sure. Right. But listen, so I had this prompting to really just bear my soul to the saints. Mm. I had this sense that people were really struggling right. spiritually and that there was a spirit of uh, pretension that was holding the church back. I, I could literally sense this in a spiritual way. It, only, only, only praying people would understand what I'm saying. Like I'm talking about warfare. Like a, mm. you, you ever felt that he there's a heaviness yeah. or something? Yeah. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I just sensed that. And I had been really praying over the message. I really didn't have something to preach. I mean, I was just struggling and the Lord says, it's time. I said, whoa. And so I literally went before the congregation and I told them, I said, you know, th this is this has been a struggle of mine. And I have battled this. Uh, I got permission from my wife long before this uh, that at some point I was going to be able to share. I just didn't know when. Right. So that's definitely something that you need to keep in mind. You can't just go out there and blast last stuff without considering right. that other people can be affected by it yeah mm -hmm. so anyway so i shared that i shared what i shared and man there was all i can say is there was such a move of god and a mm. spirit of weeping that swept across the congregation and a spirit of confession and repentance uh -huh. that came about literally the service shifted i don't even remember if we actually took communion that day but we were there for several hours after that and one by one people were getting up confessing sin open sin that they things that they had done to other people things that they were struggling with and there was just a the spirit of god swept over the place i mean it's hard to even imagine to explain and there was weeping and worship and um confession and repentance mm. and it was sort of at that moment that i felt from the spirit of god that you know hey this is i'm calling you to this yeah this is what i want for my people yeah but I can't get this with that spirit of lying that's on many of us and mm -hmm. pretending, you know, and many people are just in bondage to their own secrets. Right. And the Lord says, you know, he wanted to break people free from that thing. And so you can only imagine, uh, you know, Don and Colin, that, you know, when you have such a demonstrative move of the spirit of God on something like that, that it will arrest your life really for the rest of your yeah. life. And, yeah. you know, of course, I honestly, I can count, I can count on both hands, how many times I had seen that happen in my ministry. Mm. Once I got free, people were able to get free. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, That's wow. powerful. So what has that led you? Because I noticed on your website, you've got a lot of different speaking, things about leadership, about family, about men and their relationships. What has that led you to start thinking of focusing on now? Yes. So, you know, in short, you know, I, I definitely have a burden for families, uh, mm -hmm. especially, uh, you know, families experiencing brokenness and, and really within our culture, African-American families. We have some unique stories, mm -hmm. uh, of course, our, our you know, Afro-Caribbean families and so forth. We have we have we have a unique journey that I have felt a calling to and um, sport, especially with my upbringing, you know, as I've shared with you, my unique upbringing, the exposure I got seeing the brokenness of people mm -hmm. and then seeing my parents split. And then that was another thing, you know, that kind of, you know, was it another inspiration for me 
um, and then my own personal struggles. And God was really just putting all this together to minister to to families. And, and so I went and got my doctorate to de degree um, in, in in discipleship as well as um, as, as well as in family and family ministry. Mm -hmm. And I actually did my dissertation on the on the development uh, of the African-American male from spiritual apathy to spiritual maturity. And so okay. uh, that that became sort of something I studied. But it's funny, I kind of put it on the back burner, uh, ended up writing a book on family worship uh, mm -hmm. because that was such a big part of my life. And, you know, the men's thing, I always did it. I was invited to speak for a lot of men's events, but I think it never really hit me that the Lord had given me an anointing to reach to minister to men. Right. Um, and so uh Basically, what happened is, is I, I got introduced to a friend of mine who, uh, you know, really helped me to focus in on what my passions and purpose was. And I started this men's event, you know, literally, I mean, it was just it was an idea. It, it was never and it, it was never supposed to be what it is right now, at least in mm -hmm. my mind back then. Hey, let's get some men together and let's. And next thing I know, man, 2000 brothers sign up and wow. and then we started a, uh, an accountability um curriculum as well as community for for men uh, called the winning circle and we've had almost 400 men uh go through that it's a it's actually a paid for uh, the guys paid to, to be a part of this mm -hmm. uh, monthly and i mean the the amounts of transformations marriages being restored men being set free from pornography from other addictions alcoholism weed um drugs um and so it just literally just the following the spirit of god and realizing that and, and let me say this here here's the amazing thing every single thing that's ever happened in your life is an ingredient into god's purpose for your life it's, it's all it's it all it's all it, it all you know you know you, we, we talk we, we laugh and joke sometimes about you know good food and not so good food but here's right. one thing even the best food let's just say a, a good cake right mm -hmm. has ingredients in there mm -hmm. that if you ate them by themselves, they would not be they would not be palatable. Nobody just eats flour. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, you know, nobody eats baking powder or baking soda. But you got to have that stuff to make the cake. And so what I'm saying is, is every single thing in my life, everything, the good, the bad or the ugly. I'm realizing now God was using all that to work for my good to accomplish his purpose, including my struggles. Right. Hallelujah. I mean, including that, you know, to be able to. And so men respect me and they they like to be a part of what I'm doing because they see that brother is real. Brother ain't playing no games. Brother is vulnerable. He's right. still vulnerable. And so man, I'm just praising God for this new season that I'm in right now. You know, ministering to the men It's called the winning circle um, and uh, brothers, uh, you know, to, to have a front row seat at men at the transformation of men and by subsequent uh, their families, by consequence, their families. It's uh, it, it's one of the joys of my life. Right, right, right. So, uh, real quick, uh, let's talk about your parents' divorce because I know you were you're on your journey. Uh, things were going real good, and then that came out of the left field, man. Um, how did that hit you? Yeah, you know that happened here when when I, as soon as I got to Cleveland, if the marriage was falling apart, 
And um, of course, when it happened, of course, you had I had a lot of resentment. My father and I are very close, always have been close, but this put a rupture in our relationship at the time. Mm-hmm. Of course, since then we've restored our relationship. That's a whole nother testimony. You guys got to bring me back just for that. Um, hey, hey, no problem. We, we no do, problem. We do part twos, man. So we'll bring you back. And then my mom as well. And so, you know, I think that the thing that I grieve the most, because, you know, I'm, I, I realize and understand that people are human beings and these things happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so because I've experienced grace, I extend grace now to my fam- to my parents as right. well, right? right. Uh, you know, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Uh, you know, I know sometimes in the church we make it so, but it's not, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, I have had to learn through this process to, to, to love my parents as they have loved me before. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents were in need of grace right now. Um, my father remarried. That was hard, but I had to bestow grace on him and his new wife. Um, you know, this, this is life. This and life is about people needing to experience God's grace. Right. And so who am I not to, you know, to, to, to extend grace where grace has been so lavishly extended to me. And so there's been a lot of healing. God has brought us through. Uh, the Lord has us in a good place right now. I'm thanking him for that. But I think I learned so much about that experience. And the main thing I learned was grace. Grace. Listen, that's it. Listen, people are going to do things that you don't like. People yeah. are going to uh, disappoint you. Yeah. Uh, things like is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I'm sure I do that to my wife. And I'm sure that I've disappointed some people. And it would be far be it from me to not extend that grace that God has given to me. And so I thank God for the season that they are in now, uh, the growth uh, that our family has experienced. Would I have wanted my parents to remain married? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, mm-hmm. can, some of us going to get in the kingdom, man, and we're going to get in there with wounds and, and bruises and scars. And when we get there, ain't nobody going to ask us, like, you know, how we got there. You know, or why we got there. We're right. just going to be glad we got there. You of know, course. that's it. <laughs> so that's the goal. Amen. 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 So where can we find you online, your ministry? Tell us a little bit about where we can find you. Sure. Um, you know, find me on Instagram at it's I-T-S Myron, M-Y-R-O-N live. Um, I'm always putting content up there. You can find me on Facebook, just Myron Edmonds. I have both my public page and my personal page, and you have full access to that. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. It's Myron Live on Twitter. And then my website. Um, Check out my website, MyronEdmonds.com. Or if you're interested as a man, if you're looking for an accountability community uh, where you can grow, really, and and be amongst the safety of other men who have the same agenda as you, uh, then go to our website at Men'sWinningCircle.com men's winning circle.com uh, and you can learn more more about that awesome. beautiful awesome. beautiful awesome. all right pastor myron wow. wow definitely bring you back for parts yes yes <laughs> <laughs> you you um i think i think you're gonna i think you're gonna be a regular on my test i know right <laughs> <Every> <laughs> <season>. <laughs> this was um this awesome. was truly a blessing yeah. and i just want to thank you so much again for thank taking you. your time yeah. out and sharing with us and um, as i said it wouldn't be the last we're looking forward to it we share with you in the future again absolutely, absolutely. so um, absolutely no thank you for having me mm-hmm. yeah and we just want to um continue praying for you yeah. your family and your ministry because mm-hmm. i know the devil is not happy yeah. you know when when, when a man of god is doing god's will he's not happy yeah. but 
God right. is, right. you know, God is in control and I know that yeah. he's going to continue to sustain you. So Amen. just want to encourage you to uh, continue keeping, keeping on. All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> God, thank you. All right. So Dawn, you're going to pray to sure. close this out? Absolutely. Loving Father, what an amazing ministry and amazing testimony you have for Myron Edmonds. Oh my goodness, God. You've done so many incredible things. And I ask that you continue to bless him as he touches lives everywhere that he goes, every person that he speaks to. You continue just to help him, just to do that little bit just for you so other lives would be touched and others would come to know your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So we thank you once again for this testimony. We ask God that you just be in our hearts and our minds and just help us to be ready. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Pastor Myron, until next time, man, we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back and uh, we'll, we'll continue the conversations. Sounds good. All right. God bless you guys. All right. All right. Take care. All right.